Welcome to this reading of the Poem of the Man-God. Thank you for joining me. The Poem of the Man-God is a private revelation of the life of Jesus of Nazareth as recorded by the visionary Maria Valtorta. Now out of print, this five-volume set of books is a narration of the life of Jesus beginning with the birth and childhood of the Virgin Mary through the public ministry of Jesus, his passion and resurrection, and closing with the Assumption into Heaven. The narration is interspersed with direct dictations from Jesus, messages for the whole world. These highly inspired visions were recorded by Maria Valtorta around the time of the Second World War, yet she did not consider herself the author. They were first published, without her name, shortly before her death, and only posthumously was her name added. My sole aim with this podcast is to share the poem of the man-god with the world. I hope you'll enjoy them as much as I have, and if you do, please share them. Thank you for listening. Poem of the Man-God, Book 2, Number 144, With the People of Sikar. A group of Samaritan dignitaries are coming towards Jesus, led by Photonai. God be with you, Rabbi. This woman has told us that you are a prophet and that you do not disdain speaking to us. We beg you to stay with us and not to refuse to speak to us, because if it is true that we are cut off from Judah, that does not mean that only Judah is holy and that all the error is in Samaria. Also amongst us there are some just people. I told her exactly the same. I will not impose myself, neither will I reject those who seek me. You are just. The woman told us that you are Christ. Is that true? Reply to us in the name of God. I am. The messianic epoch has come. Israel is united by her king, and not only Israel. But you will be the Messiah for those who are not in error as we are, remarks an imposing elderly man. Man, I see that you are their leader, and I also see that you are honestly seeking the truth. Now listen to me, since you are learned in the Holy Scriptures. I was told what the Spirit said to Ezekiel, entrusting him with the prophetic mission. Son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, to a nation of rebels who have rebelled against me. They are impudent and stubborn children. They may listen to you and then not keep your words, which are my, my words, because they are a rebellious house. But at least they will know that there is a prophet among them. Therefore be not afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words, because they are unbelieving and rebellious. And you shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or refuse to hear you. Do what I tell you, hear what I say to you, be not rebellious like them. Eat, therefore, whatever food I give you. And I came. I do not flatter myself, and I do not expect to be received as a triumphant victor, but since the will of God is my honey, here I am to fulfill it. And if you wish, I will tell you the words which the Spirit said to me. How can the Eternal Father have thought of us? Because he is love, my children. Not all the rabbis in Judah say so. But that is what the Messiah of the Lord tells you. It is written that the Messiah is to be born of a virgin in Judah. Of whom and where were you born? In Bethlehem Ephrathah, of Mary of the house of David, by means of a spiritual conception. I ask you to believe me. 
Jesus' beautiful voice is a declaration of triumphant joy in proclaiming his mother's virginity. Your face is shining with a bright light. No, it is not possible for you to lie. The faces of the children of darkness are gloomy and their eyes are grim. You are bright. Your eyes are as bright as the morning star and your words are true. Please come to Sikar and teach the children of this people. Then you will go away and we will remember the star that appeared in our sky. Why would you not follow it? How can we? They are talking while they are walking towards the town. We are cut off. At least that is what they say. But we were born in this faith, and we do not know whether it is right to abandon it. Further, well, I feel I can tell you. After all, we have eyes to see and our minds to think. When we pass through your country on journeys or on business, not everything we see is so holy as to persuade us that God is with you Judeans or with you Galileans. I solemnly tell you that the remainder of Israel will be charged with not persuading and leading you back to God by means of good examples and charity, instead of offending and anathematizing you. How much wisdom there is in you! Have you all heard him? They all nod assent, whispering their admiration. They have, in the meantime, reached the town and many people draw near while they walk towards a house. Listen, Rabbi, since you are wise and good, please resolve a doubt of ours. A great deal of our future depends on it. As you are the Messiah, and thus a restorer of David's kingdom, you must be happy to rejoin this severed limb to the body of the state, are you not? I am taking care not so much to reunite the severed parts of what is perishable and transient, as to lead back to God all the souls, and I am happy when I restore the truth to a heart. But express your doubt. Our fathers sinned. Since then the souls of Samaritans have been disliked by God. What benefit will we receive if we follow good? We will always be like lepers in the eyes of God. Your regret is the eternal dissatisfaction of all schismatics. Once again I will reply to you with Ezekiel. All souls are mine, says the Lord, the soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son. Only the souls that sin shall die. If a man is righteous, if he is not an idolater, if he does not fornicate or steal or lend at an interest, if he has mercy both on the body and on the soul of his neighbor, he is righteous in my eyes and shall live a true life. And further on it says, If a just man has a rebellious son, Shall that son live because his father was a just man? He shall not live. And also, if the son of a sinner is a righteous man, will he die like his father because he is his son? No, he shall live eternal life because he was just. It would not be fair if one had to suffer for the iniquity of another. The soul that has sinned shall die. The soul that has not sinned shall not die. And if he who has sinned is repentant and comes to the justice, behold, he shall have true life too. The Lord God, the one and only Lord, says, I do not want the death of the sinner, but I want him to repent and live. That is why he sent me, O wandering children, that you may have true life. I am the life. Who believes in me and in him who sent me will have eternal life, even if up to the present moment he was a sinner. Here we are at my house, master. 
Do you not detest entering it? I detest only sin. Come in, then, and stay. We shall break our bread together, and then, if it is not a burden to you, you will explain the word of God to us. That word has a different flavor when it is explained by you, and we are tortured by a doubt. We do not feel sure that we are right. Everything would be appeased if you dared to come openly to the truth. May God speak to your hearts. It is getting dark. Tomorrow at the third hour I will speak to you at some length, if you wish so. Go now with the mercy which is close to you. And the vision ends. Poem of the Man God, Book 2, number 145, Evangelization at Sychar. Jesus is speaking to a large crowd in the center of a square. He has climbed on a stone bench near the fountain. The crowds are around him. Also, the twelve are around him. Their faces are dismayed or annoyed, or they clearly show disgust at certain contacts. Bartholomew and Judas Iscariot in particular clearly show their embarrassment, and to be as far as possible from the Samaritans, the Iscariot is sitting astride the branch of a tree as if he wanted to dominate the scene, while Bartholomew is leaning against a door in a corner of the square. The prejudice is evident and clearly visible in all of them. Jesus, on the contrary, has not changed his usual attitude in the least. Nay, I would say that he is endeavoring to prevent his majesty from frightening the people, and at the same time he tries to let it shine, to remove all doubts. He caresses two or three little ones and asks them their names. He has takes an interest in an old man to whom he gives alms himself. He replies to two or three questions which are put to him on private matters, not on general problems. The first one is the request of a father whose daughter had eloped and is now begging to be forgiven. Forgive her at once, says Jesus. But I suffered because of her master, and I still suffer. In less than a year I have grown ten years older. Forgiveness will relieve you. It is not possible. The wound is still there. That is true. But in the wound there are two parts that hurt. One is the undeniable affront you received from your daughter. The other is the effort to cease loving her. Remove at least the latter. Forgiveness, which is the highest form of love, will remove it. You must consider, poor father, that your daughter was born of you and is always entitled to your love. If you knew that she was suffering from a physical disease and that she would die unless you cured her yourself, would you let her die? Most certainly not. Consider then that you, with your forgiveness, can put an end to her trouble and bring her back to her wholesome instinct, because you must realize that she was overwhelmed by the basest material instinct. So you would advise me to forgive her? You must. How will I be able to see her move about the house and not curse her for what she has done? In that case, you would not forgive her. Your forgiveness must not consist in opening once again the door of your house to her, but in reopening your heart. Be good, man. What? Shall we not have for our own child the patience we have for a restless steer? A woman, instead, asked Jesus whether she ought to marry her brother-in-law to give a father to her little orphans. Do you think he will be a real father to them? Jesus asked. Yes, master, I do. They are three boys. It takes a man to guide them. Marry him, then, 
and be a faithful wife to him as you were to your first husband. The third man asks him whether he will be doing the right thing or not by accepting an invitation to go to Antioch. Man, why do you want to go there? Because I have not enough means here for myself and my large family, I met a Gentile who would employ me because he saw how skillful I am in my work, and he would take on also my sons. But I would not like... The scruple of a Samaritan may seem strange to you, but there it is. I would not like to lose our faith. That man, you know, is a heathen. So, nothing contaminates unless one wants to be contaminated. Go to Antioch and be of the true God. He will guide you, and you will be the benefactor of your master, who will acquire the knowledge of God through your honesty. He then begins speaking to the crowd. I have heard many of you, and I have perceived that each of you in your heart is rent by a secret sorrow, a grief of which you are not even aware. Your sorrow has been accumulating for centuries, and neither the reasons expressed by you nor the insults hurled at you can dissolve it. On the contrary, it becomes deeper and deeper and weighs like snow that becomes ice. I am not one of you, neither am I one of those who accuse you. I am justice and wisdom, and once again I will quote Ezekiel to solve your case. He speaks of Samaria and Jerusalem in a prophetic style, and he says that they are daughters of one mother and calls them Ohola and Oholiba. The first to fall into idolatry was the former, whose name is Ohola, because she was already deprived of the spiritual help from union with the Father of Heaven. Union with God is always salvation. She changed true wealth, true power, true wisdom, with the poor wealth, power, and wisdom of one who was inferior to God, who was even lower than she was, and she was seduced to such an extent as to become the slave of the way of living of her seducer. She wanted to be strong, and instead became weak. She wanted to be superior and became inferior. She became insane because she was imprudent. It is not easy for one to get rid of an infection when one has imprudently become infected by it. You may say, inferior? No, we were great. Yes, you were great, but how? At what cost? You know. How many people also amongst women become rich at the dreadful cost of their honor? They achieve something that may come to an end. They lose something that never ends. Their reputation when Aholiba saw that Ahola's folly had brought her wealth, she wanted to imitate her and become more deranged than her sister, and was twice as guilty, because she had the true God with her, and she should have never trodden on the strength that she received from that union. And a terrible, severe punishment was inflicted on the twice-crazy fornicatrix Aholiba, and a more severe punishment will be imposed. God will turn his back on her, he is already doing so in order to go to those who do not belong to Judah. Neither can God be accused of being unfair because he does not impose himself. He opens his arms to everybody. He invites everybody. But if one says to him, go away, he goes away. He goes to seek love elsewhere, to invite other people, until he finds someone who says to him, I will come. I therefore say to you that you can find relief from your torture, you must find it by meditating on what I told you. Ohola, recover your consciousness. God is calling you.
The wisdom of man consists in acknowledging his faults. The wisdom of the Spirit lies in loving the true God and his truth. Do not look at Oholiba, or Phoenicia, or Egypt, or Greece. Look at God. That is the fatherland of every righteous soul, heaven. There are not many laws, but only one, God's. Through the law one achieves life. Do not say we sinned, but say we do not want to sin any more. You have the proof that God still loves you and that he has sent his word to say to you, Come. I say to you, Come. Have you been offended and prescribed? By whom? By your own fellow creatures. God is above them, and he says to you, Come. The day will come when you will rejoice because you were not in the temple. Your hearts will rejoice at that. But souls will rejoice even more because God's forgiveness will already have descended upon the righteous hearts scattered throughout Samaria. Prepare his coming. Come to the universal Savior, O children of God, who have lost your way. Some of us at least would come, but those on the other side do not want us. And once again, with the priest and prophet, I say to you, I am about to take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel associated with him, and I will join it to the stick of Judah, and make them one stick. Do not go to the temple. Come to me. I do not reject anyone. I am called the king, dominating over everybody. I am the king of kings. I will purify all peoples if they wish to be purified. I will gather you together, O herds, without shepherds, or with idle shepherds, because I am the good shepherd. I will give you one tabernacle only, and I will place it in the midst of my believers. That tabernacle will be the source of life, the bread of life. It will be light, salvation, protection, wisdom. It will be everything, because it will be the living one, given as food to the dead to make them live. It will be God whose holiness will overflow to sanctify. That is what I am and will be. The days of hatred, of incomprehension, of fear have come to an end. Come, people of Israel, people separated, people afflicted, people remote. You are a dear people, infinitely dear, because you are ill and weak, because you have been wounded by an arrow that has opened the veins of your souls and has let the vital union with your God escape. Come, come to the bosom where you were born. Come to the breast from which you received life. Kindness and warmth are still here for you. Come, come to the life and salvation. And the vision ends.